So if you turn uh, in your Bibles there tonight, it's right in the middle of the book, and it's a pretty chunky chapter. First Samuel chapter 15. This is God's word. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel, and opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them and tell him, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul Saul came to Carmel and behold he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, 
took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. We thank God for the reading of his word. We're going to, would you open your Bibles again to 1 Samuel chapter 15, please? And as we come to God's word, let's ask for his help. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has much to teach us about who you are and how we ought to live in light of you. So, Father, would you be our teacher tonight by your Holy Spirit? Would you move in our hearts and change our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been caught out uh, doing something that you were specifically told not to do. You're in the middle of carrying out the, the precise activity that was forbidden when, like a prisoner attempting a jailbreak, a light shines on you. And your disobedience is revealed. Uh, One year I was running a summer camp and the activity I was taking uh, that day was cupcake decorating. I know, the right man for the job. Um, Sounds fancy, it wasn't. It was plain buns, a lot of coloured icing and even more excited kids. And there was one rule and the rule was simple. Don't eat the icing. We weren't sure if there was enough to do, all 60 to 70 kids, plus their leaders. Uh, so we expressly told campers, 
don't eat the icing. We'll all eat our cupcakes together at the end of the day. But there's always one, isn't there? There's always one. I'm trying to keep everybody on track, everything on task, and I look up, and there's one kid who is cheek to cheek with bright red icing. He, he looked like the Joker or something like that. So I said to him, hey buddy, what was the one rule? He looked at me right in the eye and said, perfectly innocently, don't eat the icing. I said, why, why did you eat the icing then? He protested, I didn't. I didn't eat the icing. So I took out my phone, selected the front-facing camera, which basically acts like a mirror, and I gave him my phone so he could see his incriminating face. He, he looked at the phone, and without missing a beat, looked at me and said, I was only eating it because Peter was eating it. Fantastic. No remorse. Just passing the buck and making excuses for his behavior by blaming someone else. Now, I think that's a pretty good snapshot of us, actually. I think it's a pretty good picture of our attitude towards our own disobedience. Tell ourselves this isn't actually a big deal. We think, we're probably going to get away with this. But there's icing smeared all over our face. And then when to our shock that icing is pointed out, we say, well, it's not really my fault. First Samuel chapter 15 line in the middle of this book is painting the same picture to us. It draws out for us the absolute priority of obedience to those who believe in the Lord. It reveals to us God's attitude towards obedience by showing how he views disobedience. It's probably one of the most difficult chapters to read in the book because of its content. You've heard it. It's gruesome. It's sad. It jars with us. But so it should. Because disobedience, which is sin, and sin's consequences, should make us uncomfortable. It should make us grieve as it makes God grieve. This chapter shows us God's attitude towards obedience and disobedience. And it shows us how we should make a proper response. We're going to work our way through the chapter tonight and learn what it has to teach us. In verse 1 we see Samuel sent to Saul. He says this, The Lord sent me to appoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel is reminding Saul that he is God's mouthpiece. When he speaks to him on behalf of God, it is the Lord speaking to him. And so he's reiterating for Saul, listen up, this is important. The Hebrew word here, translated as listen, it reoccurs throughout the chapter in many different forms. Listen, hear, obey, voice. And it reminds us of the main theme of this chapter, obedience. Which is listening to God's word and then doing as he says. Samuel gives Saul which, what is to us a pretty unsavory command. The Lord is calling Saul to war. A holy war. A God appointed destruction of the Amalekites. Verses 2 to 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel. In opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek. And devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. 
The Amalekites were a long-time enemy of Israel. When the Israelites were uh, coming out of Egypt in that Exodus story, going through the wilderness, uh, the Amalekites attacked them unprovoked. That's the story where Moses has his hands held up in order to achieve victory that you can read about in Exodus 17. Well, in response to this action by the Amalekites, God says in Deuteronomy 25, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, and the land that the Lord is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Time had passed, and the time had come for God to enact divine justice and vengeance upon his enemies. And Saul was to be God's instrument to carry this out. He was to wipe out the Amalekites. Everyone with them, everything associated with them, everything they had, they were to be utterly destroyed. Initially, Saul's response seems to be pretty swift. It seems to start off well. He gathers 210,000 men. That's a lot of men. And he heads off, seemingly to do as he's been commanded. But it doesn't take long for Saul to start doing his own thing. There's a group of people called the Kenites among the Amalekites. And Saul decides to tell them to escape. He's not doing as God has commanded. They then attack the Amalekites. But instead of what doing what God has said, which is wiping them out completely, Saul spares the king. He spares the best of the livestock. And what verse 9 says, quite generally... All that was good. Saul decided that he knew what was better than God when it came to doing what was good. He he ignores God. He's disobedient. He keeps the king alive, Agag, seemingly like a little trophy to commemorate his victory. That would make sense. You can even see in verse 12, Saul sets up a monument to himself. He loves himself. And then he also takes what he deems fit for himself and destroys the rest. Even though God had told him to destroy everything. Saul has completely ignored God. God's response in verses 10 and 11. It begins to unveil for us God's attitude towards obedience. It says this. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me. And has not performed my commandments. I regret that I have made Saul king. Now, this word regret can also be rendered repent. Those are strong words coming from God. Those are words that have caused difficulty to scholars and theologians over history. Does God change? Does God change his mind? Was God caught out by Saul's sin? Was that a surprise to him? Is God swayed by the events of this world rather than sovereignly governing all things? Well, well, we know from the same chapter that this does not mean that God was surprised by the events that unfolded. It doesn't mean that God changes his mind. Samuel says in verse 29 of the same chapter, The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. 
God's not like us. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't do something that he shouldn't do. And he never has. But that said, his regret is real. And God's regret of making Saul king has a few things to teach us about God. And the first is this. Although God is sovereign as the creator and upholder of this universe. He's not removed from his creation. But he is intimately involved in it. When Saul continues to reject God, God shows that he is involved with his creation by repenting of Saul. In fact, God's grief over sin here shows us that God cares about everything that happens on earth. He cares about everything that happens to his people. He cares about everything that happens in our lives. God cares. He isn't fickle. He isn't disinterested. He doesn't turn a blind eye. This passage shows us he's really grieved by sin. He's involved, not absent. And that rings true for you. Whether, whether it's sin you're attempting to hide or whether it's sorrow and pain that you are wrestling with tonight. Whether you need convicted or whether you need comforted or both. God is involved and God cares. Your life is important to him. That's not to say that when we look at this passage, God didn't have a plan and all of this mess. He did. But for the foundations of this earth were laid, God knew that Saul would sin. And he would use that to anoint David and from that Davidic line give us Jesus. But he's still involved with his creation. He's still grieved by sin against him and his people. He's never surprised by sin. God's grief over sin actually doesn't make him less sovereign. In fact, I reckon it proves his sovereignty because in his great plan of salvation, he has made a way for sinful people like us to come before him and be forgiven by him and be brought into his family by sending Jesus Christ to deal with our sin once and for all on the cross. So that if we trust in Jesus and love Jesus, we can belong to Jesus and have life with Jesus forever. Not have to be rejected like Saul. God is never surprised by sin. He's moved by it, but he is not controlled by it. And he has defeated it through Jesus. The second thing from God repenting or regretting is first to know that when God reacts in this way, he is showing us the correct way to treat disobedience. He's showing us that we need to grieve it. If you think back to the creation account in Genesis, on the seventh day after creating the heavens and earth and all within them, on the seventh day God rested. Did God need to rest? No. But we do. God was setting in place a pattern for our lives, working for sex and resting for one. In this passage, does God need to repent? Of anything that has happened? Anything with Saul? No. It's Saul's sin, not God's. It's Saul's sin against God. But God is grieved by sin. And God's grief over sin shows us the proper way we are to treat sin. Not something to be celebrated, not something to be swept under the rug, but something to grieve and lament. 
God's grief is to show that he is involved. And it's to set an example for us. We are to love obedience. And part of loving obedience means that we are to hate disobedience. We are to grieve it. It, It's supposed to move us. And that counts for our own disobedience, which we'll get to later. But it also counts for the disobedience of others. Samuel in verse 11 follows God's example perfectly here, grieving over the sin of others. Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel is impacted by Saul's sin. He cries and he laments the whole night through. He doesn't sleep. After all, it was Samuel who anointed Saul. It was Samuel who taught Saul. It was Samuel who really discipled Saul. And Saul's sin has hurt him. You might know this feeling too. You might know this feeling if you've had children who have left the faith. You might know this feeling if you've poured hours and hours of time and effort and love into discipling others and setting an example for them in their faith only to see them reject God and choose something worse. The anger that you might feel about that, you might feel it to be wrong, but actually this passage tells us it's good and proper to be angry about sin. We should be angered by sin. We should be moved by disobedience, as God is. And as Samuel does, we should cry out to the Lord because of it. Because we know he hears and he helps and he is involved. We know he feels the same way that we do. He too is grieved. And so we have someone to empathize with us. and Someone to help us. Samuel has the job of confronting Saul and bringing news of his rejection to him. He follows Saul to Gilgal. Ironically, that's the place where Saul was made king, and it is the place that Saul will lose his kingship. And Saul sees Samuel coming. And unaware that there's red icing all over his face, he says, verse 13, I performed the commandment of the Lord. The cheek of him. He's not even come close to obeying the commandment of the Lord. And with a straight face, he tells Samuel, job done. Uh, Look at Samuel's response. And again, it uses that Hebrew word that we talked about earlier. Hear or listen, linked with obedience or disobedience. Verse 14. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? The lowing of the oxen that I hear? We need to hear this how Samuel would have actually said it. He's beginning to turn the screw on Saul. Not maliciously, but in order to reveal Saul's sin to him. Job done. Why do I hear bad? Why do I hear animals testifying to the fact that the opposite is true? Saul answers, well we devoted everything else to destruction, but we kept all of this for God. Verse 15 tells us Saul is he's actually trying to spoof Samuel by saying they were going to sacrifice these animals to the Lord. And saying this, Saul is revealing his actual heart behind all this. In verse 15, he says, key phrase, sacrifice to the Lord your God. Not Saul's God, Samuel's. And that is not the first, or that is not the last time he will say this in this passage. And there's the reason for his disobedience. Saul does not love the Lord. He makes the excuse 
And then Samuel doesn't buy it. In verses 17 to 18, Samuel reminds Saul of the word of the Lord to destroy everything. And verse 19 asks, why then did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? That, that word pounce, pounce on the spoil, that shows that Saul's intention was not to sacrifice these animals at all, but to gobble them up for selfish gain. Saul has gone from claiming to obey God perfectly to making excuses for his disobedience. And now in verses 20 to 21, he starts to blame other people. Do you see that in verse 21? But the people took the spoil. The people, Saul says, not Saul. He tries the argument again. We were going to sacrifice them. And Samuel responds in poetic form. Hopefully you can see that by looking down at the text in front of you in your Bibles. You should should, should be able to see that verses 22 and 23 are formatted differently. And that's because this is the most important thing that is being said in this chapter. It says this. As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination, and presumption is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. God doesn't want you to serve him on your terms. That's just idolatry, Samuel says. He wants you to serve him on his terms, to go by his word, to listen to his voice, to do as he pleases. What God wants is obedience. Saul has not been obedient. And when faced with his sin, he has denied it, he has excused it, he has deflected it. And God rejects him. Even after hearing of his rejection, he still doesn't get it. Verse 24, he still blames others. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words. Why? Because I feared the people and their voice. He still doesn't accept his responsibility in this. He still doesn't get the magnitude of his disobedience against God. And so Samuel refuses to go with him. Saul tears Samuel's robe in an act of desperation. And Samuel uses this as an opportunity to demonstrate to Saul the seriousness of his disobedience. In the same way that this robe has been torn, he tells Saul, this is how your kingdom will be torn from you and given to someone else. Saul, in utter despair, continues to reveal his heart. Not preoccupied with God's opinion, but opinion of others. Verse 30, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Samuel allows Saul to bow before the Lord one last time, but then he leaves him. He leaves him, he calls Agag, the king of the Amalekites, before him, and brutally finishes the job that Saul chose not to do. Saul and Samuel wouldn't see one another again. Samuel would spend his days grieving Saul's sin and what had become of him. Saul is the picture Of someone who has encountered God, experienced his goodness, yet refused to love and serve God as God desires. Saul has refused ultimately to obey the Lord. 
is what Hebrews 6 verses 4 to 6 speak of. It says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Saul had experienced God's power. He had seen God at work in defeating enemies and looking after his people. He had seen God at work in the life of Samuel, the man he looked up to. But his heart was too preoccupied with power and possessions and people to truly love, serve and obey God. And so repentance, despite everything he witnesses, is out of reach to him. If you're here tonight as someone who goes to church and is associated with Christian things, but you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ tonight, you are putting yourself in the same perilous position. You too have tasted the heavenly gift, as the writer of Hebrews says. You experience blessing here, maybe in this place. You've heard from God's word, being blessed by his people, looked after in community. But if, like Saul, you're too focused on the things of this earth, you will be rejected by God. Blessing isn't found in the things of this world. It's not found in the promises of other people's opinions. It's not found in your esteemed positions or valued traditions or whatever it is that your heart loves more than the Lord. Father Jesus says in Luke 11 verse 28, Blessed are those who hear the word of the Lord and keep it. If you're outside of Jesus tonight, repent. Hear the word of God to repent and believe and put your faith in Jesus and experience life and come into his family where blessing is found. If you are a believer here this evening, this passage still has a lot to tell us about how we see our sin and how we ought to deal with it. How we ought to deal with our own disobedience. So all sin caused a lot of problems, it caused a lot of hurt. Look at what it did to Samuel. It caused him to spend an entire night lamenting and crying out to God. He had to do a terrible thing for anyone to do. And hacking someone to death, which Saul failed to do. And then he spent the rest of his life grieving. Saul's sin grieved the heart of the Lord. Twice in this chapter it says that the Lord regretted making Saul king. And Saul's sin impacted him. He lost the blessing of God. And so often when it comes to our own disobedience, we can act in the same way Saul does in this passage. We think it's not really that big a deal. We think that we're not really responsible. We think we can get away with it. And when we are caught out, because sin always catches us out. Sometimes what we're so preoccupied with is the embarrassment or the shame the wounded ego, the damaged reputation, what would people think of me now? But that's not repentance. That's only guilt. And wallowing in guilt is just further disobedience. When we're faced with our own disobedience, whatever that might be, however insignificant or immense it might be, we need to own it. We need to take responsibility. We need to be able to put our hands up to not make excuses or deflect. 
But we need to say with David in Psalm 51, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And it's then that forgiveness is available to us. It's then that God tears away from us, not our kingdom, but our sin. It's then that God says to us, sin, it's been taken care of. What was crimson has now been washed white as snow. It's been taken care of by Jesus Christ. Who according to Hebrews 10 verses 5 and 7, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That is as written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus came to be obedient. Jesus carried out the will of God perfectly with total obedience. He lived for God and he did so. He lived and he died. He rose and ascended to share his perfect obedience with us so that we might be blessed. So that we may truly repent. Which isn't apologizing as Saul eventually did. But it's turning from our sin. And it's turning to Jesus. And it's looking to Jesus and believing in his promises of faithfulness towards us. His promises of blessing and love. So that we may live for him in perfect obedience and be blessed. If there's icing all over your face this evening. Don't make excuses. Don't deflect. In those attempts of self-preservation, you're only hurting yourself. Allow Christ to clean you. Allow Jesus to make you new and then live in perfect obedience for him. For him, the king who did just as God said, so that we might be blessed, forgiven of our disobedience and helped as we live to please him and lives marked by obedience. Let's pray. Father, we are aware that our lives are so often marked by sin and obedience that we so often go our own way than yours. That we take what is good and right into our own hands. That we think we are more morally upright than you. But Father, we're not. And would you help us to know that? Would you help us to know that your standard is perfection? That you share perfection with us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that you're there to help us live for you every step of the way. Help us to live lives that honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.